The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. If you're unfamiliar with it, the Chronicles of Narnia series is one of my favorite book series uh, of all time. Many of you may, may have read some of it. There were some movies that were done about it. But for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, the Chronicles of Narnia is this fiction, work of fiction by a man named C.S. Lewis, and he writes this book series imagining this fictional world called Narnia. And throughout the series, he has this main character, a, a lion by the name of Aslan. And all throughout the series, Aslan plays a central role. And the purpose of Aslan's character is he is the Christ-type figure. Uh, In all sorts of different ways, Lewis imagines these scenarios where the beauty and excellency of Jesus is put on display through what Aslan does and says. And there's this moment in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is, I believe, the fifth book. Uh, There's this moment where the group of people, the characters in the story, they're on this journey, this treacherous journey of exploration out at sea. And they narrowly escape sudden death from the clutches of a gigantic sea serpent and find themselves on this uh, deserted island with no humans on it. So they're there on this island and they're exploring around and they come across this pool of water. They look at this water and one of the characters notices something peculiar about the water. He looks down inside and he sees a shiny, large golden object. And he looks closely and he notices it's like a life-size statue of a man made of pure gold. He tells the others, the others see it for themselves. This is crazy. We've got to get this thing out there. We're rich if this thing is made of pure gold. And so what they do is uh, one of the characters, Edmund, he grabs a spear and he wants to get a sense for how deep the pool is. So he sticks the spear into the water and immediately something crazy happens. Almost as if the water has magic powers, the spear is like pulled down from Edmund's hands and goes quickly to the bottom of the surface of the pool. And when it gets to the bottom, they all notice together that the spear had turned gold. The spear had turned solid gold. That's why it sank out of his hands. And then Edmund looks down at his feet and he notices the edge of his toes where they had touched the water just barely had turned to gold. His boots had turned gold and started peeling back from the leather, and they realized the significance of this discovery. They realized that this water, they test out this small little flower, and sure enough, anything you turn, anything you drop in this water turns instantly to gold. And then it hits them. The statue of the man who was there at the bottom of the pool was once a real human, who at some point maybe looked inside the pool of water, saw some shiny gold, thought it was his lucky day, went for a dive to collect his gold, and instantly becomes an inanimate block of gold. And I remember reading that story and thinking a couple of things. First of all, I remember thinking, what a terrible way to die, okay? Of all of the scenarios you can envision of of how you die, imagine with me, you think, it's, you think it's the greatest day of your life. There's nobody else around. You found this just pile of gold at the bottom of this pool. Sounds great. And you jump in, and the moment you dive in, instantly you lose all your humanity, and you're gone. The second thing I thought of was, what a powerful image for a common human experience. 
right? Not that we come across pools that turn things to gold all the time, but we come across moments in our lives all the time where something presents itself to us. Somebody tells us something, or maybe we even see it with our own eyes, and it looks as if it's great, it's fantastic, we're rich. And the moment you take a step forward and dive in, you realize you've made a terrible mistake. It's so common to us as human beings, we've all had the experience of being duped, deceived, told something was one way when in reality it was something altogether different. We're in this series in Ephesians chapter six and we're talking about the topic of spiritual warfare. We're talking about the topic of how there is an enemy, there's a spiritual enemy who is opposed to the purposes of God and opposed to what God wants for our lives. And what this enemy is after is to deceive us into jumping headfirst into things that we think are for our good, when in reality they bring death and destruction into our lives. So today we're gonna talk about really the first piece of armor. We're in this section exploring the armor of God and the first section, the first piece of armor that we need, if we're gonna defend ourselves against the enemy, we need the truth. We're gonna have a conversation today about truth and lies and the role that they play in our lives. So look with me at the text, Ephesians chapter six, verse 11. Here's what Paul writes. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. And we'll pause there for today. In this series, we're gonna go piece by piece working through what Paul says we need if we're gonna withstand the attack of the enemy. Uh, last week, if you were here with us, Pastor Roby began this series exploring the verses just before this text, where Paul describes, we do not wrestle, we don't strive against flesh and blood. Our ultimate enemy is not our coworker, it's not your ex-spouse, your ultimate enemy is a spiritual enemy. That there is someone, there is a, an accuser, the devil, he goes by many names and other angelic beings who also fell with him who are out to bring devastation into our lives. We're in this battle. And here in our teaching text today, Paul says that we need to be able to stand firm and resist the onslaught of what the enemy wants to bring into our lives. The enemy has schemes, according to Ephesians 6. Now think about that word with me, schemes, tricks, devices, the enemy, Satan, has a playbook that he likes to play by in order to get our attention off of what God wants us to focus on. And he's bringing these schemes to us. And so here's what we're gonna do in this series. We're gonna look at each element of the armor that Paul says we need to make sure that we put on so that we can stand firm, so that we can oppose what the enemy wants to do in attacking us. We're gonna look at the piece of armor and the scheme that it helps defend us against. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the scheme that we're gonna explore today. We're gonna to talk about the devil's scheme of targeted lies. 
targeted lives. In verse 13, there's this language of resistance. He says to uh, stand firm, to withstand the evil day in verse 13. Uh, I think of, uh, it's hurricane season now here in South Florida, so I think of that inevitable weather channel camera shot during a hurricane, where if it's like a category five hurricane, there's that brave meteorologist who is doing something very unscientific, but it makes for great TV, right? They go out into the category five windstorm and they've got the, like the power helmet on, right? Debris is flying by them and they're just like, you know, giving us the news. It's really windy, you know. You're lucky I'm here to tell you just how windy it is. And you just, it's like a train wreck. You can't take your eyes off it. But I, I think of that image to describe what Paul's getting at here. There's a spiritual battle happening. There's this, there's this hurricane of, of lies coming towards us and we need to be able to stand firm. And if we don't even know or recognize that there's a battle, we are in rough shape. We'll miss out. And so we need to be aware the devil has a scheme of targeted lies. Now, the moment I use words like devil, spiritual forces of darkness, uh, demons, the moment we use this kind of language, there are some of us that we immediately think, okay, this sounds archaic, regressive. This sounds like something kids believe. Like we've, we've grown beyond that as a society, right? The, the, the idea of the devil. There are some of us who maybe come at it from that standpoint. And here's what I would just offer to you. You know, Common ground that all of us have wherever we're at in our faith journey. Common ground is that every single one of us has a view of reality, has a view of the world that we're convinced best explains what we see in the world, right? That's the basis of all science, right? Science is you have a view, you have a hypothesis, and then you examine and observe what you see. You collect data from experiments, and then you go back to your view, you go back to your hypothesis and say, does my hypothesis lead to or best explain this particular result? And all of us, when it comes to our view of reality and our view of the world, whether you believe there is no devil, there's no spiritual realm, or whether you're someone who is a follower of Christ, has this framework, has this view of reality, wherever you're at, we all think that our view best accounts for what we see. And here's what I would just say. When you examine the depths of evil and the depths of devastation and destruction and injustice and oppression that we've seen in our world over the past couple centuries, I mean, think about it like this. In the 17th and 18th century, the period known as the Enlightenment, there was this growing thought amongst, amongst like the, the smartest people among us that scientific reason, human innovation, technological advancement, med medicine, all this was gonna build this utopian society where all of the world's biggest problems would be solved. And this was the view, if we could just educate more people, if we could just advance in the sciences more, all of these problems we see in the world will be resolved. Well, what happened in the 20th century? Two world wars, and these weren't Mostly they weren't like barbarians, anti-civilization people. These were scientifically advanced people who were people who had all sorts of technology that they leveraged to conduct their evil. 
We're talking about people who were highly educated. How is it when you look at the landscape of the world, how can you account for the depths of evil and violence and death of authoritarian regimes that wipe out millions of people? How do you account for that? The biblical framework, the biblical worldview has a way to say, hey, there's a sinister root to the level of evil and the depth of destruction that we see in instances throughout history. There is a nefarious enemy who seeks to wreak havoc on people and families and nations. And so here in scripture, what it's told, what we're told is the enemy, we need the belt of truth because he targets us with lies. Listen to Jesus's description of the enemy, John 8, 44. Listen to what Jesus says about the devil. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do the father's desire, your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is who the enemy is. He is a murderer, we're told by Jesus. He brings death. How does he do it? Well, he does it through lies. There's no truth in him. He's the father of lies. Now you hear that and you think to yourself, okay, lies, that's what the devil does. But note, the devil does not lie randomly. No, he targets his deception. What he will lie to one person about is not the same thing he will lie to the next person about. Listen to how Thomas Brooks, one Puritan pastor and theologian put it. He describes the enemy in this way. He says, whatever sin the heart of man is most prone to, that the devil will help forward. Satan loves to sail with the wind. Think of that image. And to suit men's temptations to their conditions and inclinations. Here's what the enemy does. The enemy targets a lie in your mind, in your heart, that somehow rubs against a weakness, somehow comes against and just pokes at an area of trauma from your past, an area of pain, and he will barrage you with lies to that specific insecurity over and over and over again until you start to believe it and you start to live according to it. It's targeted lies, fine-tuned to each individual person. You might say, well, okay, we're talking about lies. Jesus says he's a murderer. How, how, I mean, lies, really? Okay, lie, we, we say it all the time. It's just a little white lie. What's the big deal about one lie? Let me show you. Uh, this is such a helpful quote. There's a book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer, a pastor and author. And here's what he says about the significance of lies. Uh, he references in the book, the work of a well-known psychologist who came to faith in Jesus in his 40s, and he quotes him. Listen to this. How is it that some people seem to become pervaded by evil? His basic thesis, this psychologist, was that when we believe lies and then let those lies into our bodies, tragically, they become a kind of upside down shadow of the truth. As the psychologist David Benner put it, it's not so much that we tell lies as that we live them. For example, suppose you believe the lie that you are unlovable. 
wherever you picked it up in your life journey, be it a broken relationship with your parents, a breakup, a failure, a demonic deposit into your mind or anywhere. Then if you let that lie into your body, your neurobiology, you let that lie give shape to your behavior because you don't believe you are worthy of love, you let people treat you in ways that are disrespectful or demeaning or you act in ways that are disrespectful and demeaning. If you live into this lie long enough, tragically, what was false starts to become true. You eventually become the kind of person that is not worthy of love and respect, and you alienate yourself from the relationships you crave. This is the way lies start to take root in our hearts and we start to live and pattern our lives after them and we find ourselves so down the road, we don't even remember when we began believing the lie. So the enemy, he's a murderer, and he comes out at us with this barrage of lies. This is his scheme. And so the battle for truth of what's true and what's a lie is a deeply spiritual battle. It is of immense significance. If you can control what people believe to be true, you can manipulate behavior. And so we're told here, be, beware, stand firm, resist against the enemy's schemes who comes at you with lies. What lies, I'd ask you, are you believing right now? What lies, maybe better put, what lies are you living right now? Perhaps there are some of us here who are living the lie that your purpose in life is to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. And that the purpose of your life is just to find whatever brings you momentary pleasure. And whenever you experience a moment of pain, you find something to help cope with the pain. What is it that you're living for? For some of us, it's not that. For some of us, it's we're chasing the illusion of enough thinking that if I just get this next thing on the treadmill of life, then I will be content and happy. What lies are you living? Some of us, the lie that we're living out right now is that because of my failures from my past, God could never use me. He will never forgive me. And I will no way belong to a church family. I could never let anybody in and, and let, them, let them know the real me. If they knew what I struggled with. Some of you believe the lie that you're the only person in this room that struggles the way you do with what you do. And the enemy's convinced you that because you are the only one who struggles in that way, you can never let anybody know about it. Everybody else has their life together. Everybody else's family's perfect. You're the only one who's damaged goods. And the enemy targets those lies. Some of you, the lie that you're believing is that your secret life that you are paranoid about keeping hidden from your family and loved ones is not gonna come back to bring pain and devastation. You have a pet sin, you have a secret life that you're keeping from the people you love and the lie you believe is that it's not a big deal, you've got it under control and it's gonna be fine. For some of us, some of you, it's this lie that your addiction that you keep hidden, be it a porn addiction, be it an alcohol addiction, a drug addiction. I mean, we're in church, no, surely nobody else deals with it. Oh, I'm the only one who deals with that. So you can never come out and confess that and admit that when God wants to bring healing 
and forgiveness and grace and deliver you from that bondage. So what do we do? We believe these lies and then we just live our lives according to them. And we're, we're walking around controlled and shackled by them. And so we need, in this moment, we need something. We need a remedy to the lies that we believe because here's the crazy thing. By definition, by definition, we have no idea when we're being deceived. We're believing and living lies and we have no clue. And we're operating as though everything's fine. And we need to have a defense against that. We need something to help guard us against that because we're all capable of being deceived. And to the person who says, oh, not me, I couldn't be deceived, that's a lie. All of us need to stand firm, be on guard, watch, be watchful. The enemy brings targeted lies. Well, then here's the turn. What do we do in light of this? Well, we need a remedy. Write this down in your notes. The Christian's remedy to Satan's lies is God's truth. That's our remedy. He says it in the text. He's going on to list a series of armor that's a defense, these different characteristics we have through Jesus Christ, and he starts with truth. We need God's truth, having fastened on the belt of truth, to be clothed in the truth. Now, today, you can't take this for granted. What is truth? What is truth? What is true? Who gets to decide what's true? Who has the authority to say what's true and what's a lie? In scripture, the view that we're given is that truth is a fixed external reality that does not change depending on how I feel that day. Truth is a fixed reality that regardless of whether or not I like it or don't like it, it is. Truth is something that stands outside of me and that I don't get to conform it to my desires, I must conform my desires to it. I love how Dallas Willard describes the truth in somewhat comedic words. He says this, he says, what, uh, uh, truth reveals reality, and reality can be described as what we humans run into when we're wrong, a collision in which we always lose. I love that, vic that vision, right? Truth is reality, and reality is what you run into when you're wrong. Gravity is a reality. Gravity is a force that no matter how you feel that day, no matter how strong you're convinced your legs are to jump and keep going or your arms are to keep flapping away, that gravity will pull you down. Gravity wins because it's a fact. There's a fixed external truth that's driven, that's, that comes from God himself. We need God's truth clothing us. And what the truth does is the truth is in many ways like a mirror. The truth is like a mirror, to use the analogy that's given in James. What does a mirror do? Like this morning, I woke up, got up from, from bed, turned my alarm off, and I went to my bathroom, and I started washing my face, and I looked up, and what the mirror revealed was that I need a haircut, and my hair was disheveled, okay? That's what the mirror revealed. It was very clear. And so I, I'm staring at myself, and then I had to spend the next five minutes trying to fight with my hair to get it tame. But what does a mirror do? It shows you what actually is. It exposes reality. This is what the truth does. 
no matter how we might feel about it or like it. And if we're gonna stand against what the enemy is just attacking us and bombarding us, we need truth in our lives, guarding us, protecting us, forming our view of reality. We need to be saturated with God's truth. Again, Jesus in John chapter eight, just before he had that section on the devil, how he's the father of lies, in John chapter eight, verse 31, listen to what Jesus says about him. He says, Jesus says to his, uh, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you, what's the word? Let's try that one more time. The truth will set you free. Jesus says here that if you abide in my word, if you take up residence in his teaching, in his way of life, if you listen to him and take up residence in how he views reality and explains the truth, he says, you'll know the truth. What is this saying? That if we want to know what's true, we need God's word. We need the scripture. We need the Bible to saturate our minds. We need the mind of Christ formed in us. And the way that happens is through abiding in the word of Jesus. And the Greek word that's used there, we talk about this often at our church. It's the word mathetes. Describes a disciple, a follower, an apprentice of Jesus who looks to him as our Lord, who trusts him with our lives. And Jesus says, if you do that, the truth will... Now, here's what we think. If you abide in my word, you'll know the truth. We think a lot of times, and the truth will confine me. The truth will restrict me. The truth will steal my joy. The truth will get in the way of what I want in life. The truth will burden me, overwhelm me, and just lead to me being bored and absent any joy. And Jesus says, no. If you abide in my word, the truth will set you free. He made you and loves you and wants you to experience life and life abundantly. And that life is found according to his word, his ways. We need the truth. One of the features of deception is we're convinced that what is good is evil and what is evil is actually good. We need God's truth washing over us, just falling over like this waterfall constantly over and over and over again. You say, how do I do that? How do I uh, put on the belt of truth, so to speak? Well, it means that we need to be regularly, daily, consistently meditating on, memorizing, studying, filling our minds with God's word on a consistent basis. And I think there are two obstacles sometimes that keep us from doing that. I think for many of us, we've heard, I should read the Bible probably a hundred times, a thousand times by this point. Uh, if you grew up in the church, probably from your childhood, you were taught, you should read the Bible, you should read the Bible, you should read the Bible. If you've been at City Rev for any length of time, you're going to hear us say, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. And there's a reason for that. But one of the obstacles that sometimes we get in is, is number one, some of us, we pick up the Bible and we're honest and just real. And it's like, you know, I don't often pick up a book that's over a thousand pages long, just for starters. Second of all, I look at the table of contents and I read about a bunch of funny names that 
sound very foreign to me. And I don't even know, like Obadiah, what does that have to do with my life today? And so we feel intimidated. And so because it's kind of overwhelming, we don't even start or we give up easily. And what we've done as a church, we have tools to help you start engaging with God's word on a consistent basis. Uh, On our CityRev app, we have uh, a tool called Word Habit. If you go on the CityRev app and you click on the Discover tab, there's a tool we have there, a link to something called Word Habit, and it'll walk you through a simple way to be able to read a section of scripture, observe what it's saying, apply it to your life, and then allow it to be a cue for prayer so that you can then respond back to what God is saying in his word in prayer back to God. And it's just a simple, helpful way. It gives you some training wheels to get you going, but it's so powerful. So what this looks like is you just get up 30 minutes earlier tomorrow morning, you grab a journal and a Bible and you start reading and observing and you, you, you focus in and say, Lord, help guide my eyes. What is it that you would have for me? But start simply. Uh, For some of us, the other obstacle is not just the getting started. For some of us, it's like, no, I tried that a while ago. I tried reading. There was even a season in my life where I read the Bible every day, and I just, I didn't get much out of it. And here's what I want you to think about. Reading the Bible, a, a helpful analogy to think about what it's like to read the Bible is think of investing in your retirement. Uh, when you're investing funds and at the end of the first month of your investment, whether it's a 401k, an IRA, whatever you got going on, and you start investing funds and you get to the end of that first month, you just started investing, or maybe even the second month, two months in a row, you consistently invested. And you get to the end of that second month and you look and you realize your fund has not grown at all. Maybe it was a rough market and you feel like you've gone backwards. Or maybe you just, you made like $6 and you think to yourself, my goodness, what's the point? Now that would be the ultimate folly, right? That'd be foolish to give up investing because on month number two, you feel like you haven't had this dramatic improvement, right? You haven't gone to the moon yet. It's month number two. And, and when it comes to reading scripture, I think sometimes we have this expectation that we're gonna pick up the Bible tomorrow morning and a portal from heaven is gonna open up and a beam of light is gonna shoot down on us and an angel will appear and start speaking to us. And listen, that kind of stuff happens in scripture. I'm not even excluding that that would never happen again. But what I am saying is that's not been my experience. But here's my experience. When I first started reading the Bible for myself, I was in college. I grew up in the church, didn't really develop the habit of reading the Bible regularly until I was in college. And what happened is over time, steadily, month by month, consistent, over time, God started to awaken in me a greater hunger for his word. And my desires started changing. The things that I wanted started to change. And some of you, you're nodding because you've had this experience too. And it might not have come on month number two or three, but all of a sudden, things are making sense to you in greater ways, and you're having new insight, and the truth is starting to shape your view of reality, and God is speaking to you and teaching you and forming your heart and your mind. To use the language of Romans 12, you're being renewed in your mind. The truth is setting the course for how you see your life around you, your circumstances. You now see through the filter of God's truth. 
And here's the powerful thing that happens. As we start making those consistent deposits every day, the truth of God, meditating on, meditating on it day and night, as that happens over time, all of a sudden, those targets that the enemy once used to exploit you, those areas of weakness and insecurity, those areas from your past, those areas that he would just barrage you with lies and then you would make terrible mistakes and decisions that would bring pain and destruction in your life. All of a sudden, as his truth starts forming and shaping you, you start to change and the target isn't as effective for him anymore. You start to grow. You start to become more like Christ over time, over the long haul. And this is what we're invited into to put on the belt of truth, to fill our minds with God's truth. And so I would just encourage you, if you're someone who's never really outside of coming to a Sunday church service, or maybe in your small group, you will read the Bible, but outside of that, you're not regularly reading God's word. Can I encourage you to just start tomorrow? After church today, check out that tool we have on our app, Word Habit. It's right there. It's a helpful, helpful way. And get started. Start committing passages of scripture to memory. Memorize it. Let it sit down in your heart and sink down deep. For those of you who maybe you do read God's word consistently, but maybe you're like a, a verse of the day type person and what your Bible reading looks like in this phase of your life, you kind of read the verse of the day on the YouVersion app or something like that. And that's your kind of your rhythm. That's awesome and great. Maybe it's time to take a step forward. Maybe, maybe you start reading through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, working through them. And, and observing what it's saying, reading larger sections and then asking, Lord, what are you speaking right now? What is this teaching me about you? What is this teaching me about your promises? Is there something you're correcting my heart in here? Start somewhere, filling your mind. And then for those of you who you have that practice, like every morning or maybe every evening, it's consistent. You have your time with the Lord, that Bible reading time. Can I just encourage you to take a further step forward in that. God is infinite. He is almighty and great, which means we'll never run out of wonders and glories to discover in his word. It's never going to get old. There's more for us there. And so can I encourage you to take a step forward in saturating your mind with God's word. We need the belt of truth in our life if we're going to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And this is the first and foundation of the armor that Paul lays out in Ephesians chapter six. So all I'd say to those of us here is God, he, he wants more for you. He wants more for you than the lies that the enemy is putting into your mind. He wants more for you. God wants more for you than for you to just kind of make it to retirement and then coast. God wants more for you God wants more for you than just survival mode where you're just trying to make it to the end of the week. And listen, we've all been there. It's such a common experience. We can get trapped into that mode of thing where I'm just trying to make it. God wants more for you. He wants to use you in that moment of pain. He wants to redeem those difficulties. He wants to work through you. He wants to use you. And so we need the truth to wash over us. We need the truth guarding us, protecting us from the schemes of the enemy. You know, that scene in Voyage of the Dawn Trader that I shared at the very beginning, it takes an interesting turn. 
after the group discovers what this pool can do, they realize the potential for riches. One of them, King Caspian, he says, you know, the king who claims this island would be the most powerful, rich king in all the world. And captivated by that thought, King Caspian turns to his friends and he says to them, he says, I am swearing each of you to secrecy or else you will face death. No one must know what this pool does and where this island is. And he's threatening them. His friends start arguing back saying, who are you? What are you talking about? They're arguing back at him and Caspian puts his hand to his sword as if he was about to go slay his friends. And off in the distance, in the thick of their argument, in the thick of the violence that was about to break out, off in the distance, the group stops dead in their tracks and they see a gigantic lion who's staring them down. And in stunned silence, C.S. Lewis describes how all the characters awaken from their sleepy stupor, come to their senses, and quietly just walk away peacefully. And they walk away, friends, and they never return to that water again. You know, here's what we need when we're being bombarded with lies. What we need is a vision of the truth. We need to see the truth as it really is. And the insight Lewis is getting there in that small little moment in that story is that the truth is more than just an idea. The truth is more than just a fact. The truth is a person. There is a lion who is the truth. John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the truth. What do we need more than anything else? What does God's word do for us? It points us to Jesus. We search the scriptures because it's they that testify about Jesus, about what he's done for us, about who he is, about his purpose for our lives. It points us to Jesus. And if you could just get your eyes on him, you'll be able to see those waters, whatever it is the enemy is trying to deceive you, trap you and trick you with, you'll be able to see those with clarity and walk away from the trap because you've caught a vision for the truth. The truth of who Jesus is, he is the truth who will set, set you free. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. See, this Jesus, he would go on and he would be crucified. He'd carry up his cross on a hill and he would die in the place of sinners. He would die in the place of people who had been caught up in a web of lies and had lived them. And Jesus, who himself is the truth, offers up his perfect life in your place. Jesus, knowing all of our failures, while we were enemies with God, died for you. While you were living your life in a way that was running away from him, Jesus offered himself for you. And he offers grace and forgiveness to anyone who would look to him. Jesus, after his death, he rises up from the grave on the third day. And on that third day, when he rose up from death, sin had been paid for, death had been defeated, and now forgiveness was available for imperfect people like you and me. And anyone who turns to Jesus in faith can be saved, can be forgiven. And there's one more 
person that's on my heart to speak to. It's the person who thinks they hear John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through Jesus. And you hear that. And what you think to yourself is that sounds narrow. That sounds exclusive. That sounds unjust. Why only one way to God? Why does there have to only be one way? Why can't I have my own way? There are some of us that the lie that we believe is that I can come to God on my own terms. I mean, I'm basically a good person. I, I try my best. Sure, I'm not perfect, but I mean, I'm not as bad as that guy over there or that lady over there. She's worse than me. Surely God's cool with me. But the deception that we find ourselves in in that moment, in that line of thinking, you don't come to a lion on your own terms. You don't set the terms when you're walking up to a king let alone the creator of the heavens and the earth who made you and sustains your life. No, you come on his terms. And Jesus says, I am the way to God. And if that sounds exclusive, I just ask you, if you go to a doctor and the doctor says to you, you have this disease, it's killing you, but good news, there's a cure. Take this medicine and you'll be healed. The response, well, why is there only one cure? Why can't, why can't there be multiple cures? Why can't I find my own medicine that I like that's better suited for me to find? No, that's not the way it works. And so if you've never submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord, if you've never put your trust and hope in him, then right now where you are, I plead with you to turn to Jesus, to look to him as your savior and Lord, the one who loved you and gave himself for you. Turn to him right now. He is the truth that will set you free. Would you join me in prayer? Bow your heads, close your eyes. If that's you, you've never turned to Jesus in faith. Here's what the Bible calls you to respond to. It's about faith and repentance. Faith, faith, it means right now in this quiet moment, you turn to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I trust you with my life. I trust in your work on the cross that you paid for my sins, that I have forgiveness through your sacrifice, that you love me and gave yourself for me. I trust you. And I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you conquered death. And I repent. I turn from trying to be my own God. I turn from deciding for myself what's true. And I surrender to you, Jesus, to your truth. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And just from that quiet heart of faith, a prayer of faith saying, Jesus, I'm calling out to you right now. You can have your eternity changed, your heart made new. This is his invitation to you. What friend, what is keeping you from trusting in Jesus? Father, I pray for everybody here today, for those who know you, who are followers of Jesus, who know your word. Lord, no doubt there are some of us right now, many of us who are right now living lies, 
living according to things that are not true. And Lord, today we just collectively as a church, we take up the armor of God so that we can stand firm and resist in the evil day. Lord, collectively as a church, I pray truth would win. Clothe us in your truth. Lord, expose the lies of the enemy for what they are. Lord, all across this room and across Cooper City Auditorium, even now, Lord, would you begin just speaking into people's hearts, opening their eyes to see the truth and that what they would see is Jesus. Lord, I pray that a vision of Jesus in our lives, a, a remembrance of your sacrifice on our behalf, of your relentless love for us, of your pursuit of us, of your patience with us, Lord, may that be what captivates our hearts. So we exalt you, Jesus, now. We remember your scars. We remember the price of your love, your costly love. And we ask you, Jesus, would you, the truth embodied, the one that all truth is defined by Jesus, would you protect us and guard us? And we pray against the schemes of the enemy. May those schemes collapse today. Lord, I pray that freedom would ring out today as people abide in your word because your word is truth and the truth will set you free. We thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if just then, if you made that decision to put your faith in Jesus as your savior, to trust him with your life, I wanna encourage you, don't leave this place without sharing that. Following Jesus, living as a follower of Christ, being a Christian is not something that is supposed to be private or secret. It's something that we're to do publicly together as a church family. And I wanna invite you, if you've, just now, just then, that was your prayer. And you said, Jesus, today I trust you and I turn from living my life my way to your way. If that was you, I would love to invite you to do this. If you go to cityrev.org faith, you can pull out your phone's browser right now, go to cityrev.org faith, type that in. And in about 10 seconds, you fill out your name and your contact. What we'd love to do is give you a Bible. We wanna help you start on this journey of being saturated with the truth. And we'd love to pray for you and pray with you. Let us know so that we can celebrate this moment in your life. Well, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna close uh, together celebrating that we have a victor. We're gonna hail him together. We're gonna praise him together because of what he's done for us, that we do not have to live in fear, that though the enemy attacks and he lies, we have one who is the truth, who is our guard, our shield, our strength, and our hopes. So let's stand together. Let's close in worship. Thanks for listening. Song. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.